0: Let me invite you to turn with me again uh, on your copy of God's Word, this time to the New Testament. Uh, The book we are in this morning is uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, first book uh, there in the New Testament. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find our text on page 818 uh, there at the very bottom of that page. Uh, We're in the second of three weeks uh, looking at uh, the number of parables that Jesus gives. Uh, in Matthew 13. Uh, We will conclude the chapter Christmas morning uh, as Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. Before we get there, Jesus is sort of setting the stage for us. He is showing us through eight different parables the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And as last week we will see again this week, Jesus tells parables uh, that divide. His parables show us there's two different groups of people. There's two different types of people. There are two different Definitions of people. Those definitions come not because of something in us, not because of our understanding, not because of our wisdom, because of our knowledge. Uh, the, The mass of humanity are divided into two groups purely by the grace and the mercy of God alone. And these parables help us to see how that happens. And they really press us to see our personal responsibility, even under the umbrella of the sovereign grace of God. The parables ask us to to consider the question for ourselves, which side am I on? Which of these two different definitions describe me? So we're going to see three more parables this morning, and we're going to see another explanation. The second significant parable that Jesus explains uh, in Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds. Between the giving and the explanation, we're going to see two other parables and then a, a word about how Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. It's a lot to take in. and We're going to follow it all. We're going to read it all and see what the Lord would show us through it this morning. So as you follow along with me in your copy of God's word, Matthew 13, verses 24 to 43. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Uh, Our Lord, there is much in these verses, uh, much in the context, much in the parables. Lord, there is much, quite frankly, for us to miss. I pray as we look at the intricate details, we would not miss Jesus. That you would grant every one of us ears that, that actually do hear. That you would give us the gift of good and rich soil that receives your word, that understands it and does it by turning to you in repentance and faith. Lord, do not hide Christ from our eyes. May we see him this hour, we ask in his name. Amen. We live uh, in an age of gratification, of instant gratification. Many of us have gotten used to it, and we love it, and we hate to wait for things. (laughs) This time of year, uh, maybe you're doing a lot of shopping online, and uh, you don't want to wait for anything, right? Right? You have gotten so used to Amazon that could get stuff to you in two days. If you go to another website and the shipping takes five to seven days, you get grumpy, right? Five days to get something to my house. Are you serious? We want it now, right? It's not just our stuff that we want. Uh, right we we have google searches that have come into our lives years ago and we don't have to wait for information do we we can just ask google or we can ask alexa or we can ask siri you don't even have to pull out our phone we just say it into our rooms and we get an answer right there right we tell my kids you know we used to have to look it up in the dictionary <laughs> makes me feel really old we become uh impatient with our friends we send someone a text and we don't hear back and in five minutes what are they doing why haven't they texted me back Call, we reach out to them on Facebook Messenger. No response. We call them. They don't, they don't pick up, right? It's, it, we want it back. We want it all right now. We want our stuff. We want our information. We want our responses. And I, I think it's led us, not just us as the church, but us as the culture to be incredibly impatient. I do think that impatience has bled into the church. Where we are not raising our children, we are not raising a generation. We ourselves are not modeling patience. We want our stuff now, we want our information now, we want our friends to text us back now, and we want God to do it now. That impatience may be highlighted in our culture today, but it is nothing new for the people of God. I think we see here in some of these parables a subtle word to those who are impatient. You see, the the disciples are following Jesus around, and he's telling them what? Over and over again. What's he telling them that has arrived? The kingdom. That's the first word of his announcement. It's the first word of John the Baptist's announcement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand over and over and over again. And the disciples look around and say, this is it? This is the kingdom you're showing us? Jesus, no one's listening to you. They're they're pressing back against you. They're challenging you. The the Pharisees are, are out to get you. This is the kingdom? Why is it not here yet? What's taking so long? Jesus gives them a chapter full, an afternoon full of teaching, of parables, to help them and to help us wait. You see, the path of our God is a slow path. He's not slow. His plan for us feels slow, doesn't it? We want the victory. We want the end. We want the full and glorious kingdom. And yet what we get is a humble kingdom and a humble king. We want freedom from suffering. We get more suffering. We want our tears wiped away, and yet we're still crying. You see, Jesus goes on the path from humility to get to glory, and then he takes his church, his people, on that same path. He leads us as he led his disciples on that same path, that what we might call very, very slow path to glory. What I want to show you in these parables and in the teaching this morning is that the church follows Jesus on his slow path from humiliation to glory. We follow him. We follow Jesus on that slow path. And that is hard for impatient people like me and like you. What image does Jesus use to convey to his hearers slowness? It's the image of farming. Farming is the exact definition of not instant gratification, right? I mean, if you ever think it's, it's cool to sort of plant a garden and have fun out there, you put some seeds in, then you think... But where's the plant, right? we got to wait. You have to to be patient. You have to tend the garden and the, the growing shoots. It's not instant gratification. And so Jesus teaches us in these parables about slowness, the slowness of the seasons. And instead of looking at the three different parables, I want to show you three different seasons of growing, of farming, and how the parables sort of teach us about each of those seasons. So the first season we're going to see in our text is the planting season. Right? I'm not a farmer. Maybe there are more technical terms to this. This is the easiest term I could come up with. The plant. You know what happens in the planting season, right? We're planting. So let's begin there with the parable of the weeds. What happens first? Planting. It is the season of sowing. So the parable, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting setup here because our parable is told, and then we get two other little parables. And then we get an explanation of parables. And then finally, once they leave the crowds and go back inside, does Jesus give the explanation of the parable? The explanations, you'll remember from last week, the explanations are for the disciples. right? The parables are given to the crowds that are rejecting Jesus as a way to conceal him. It's a form of judgment on the crowds. But the parables given for us, for the disciples, it's a form of revealing who he is. It's a fulfillment As we see later down of Psalm 78, uh, where the the psalmist is opening his mouth to declare what has been hidden for the ages. And so the parables help the followers of Jesus, you'll remember, who are not outside with the crowds, but who are in the house, get the explanation and learn about him. So his explanation of the weeds goes like this. There's one farmer who sows a good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy comes and sows weeds. This is the planting season. Uh, the picture here that Jesus paints is one field, two planters, right? It's not a neutral field that they're taking turns planting on, right? Did you notice in that first verse who the field belongs to? A man sowed good seed in his field. So the field belongs to the first farmer, not the second farmer. The second's an imposter, but right? he comes in to, to ruin the work of the first farmer farmer and Jesus clarifies he explains in no uncertain terms who each one is sometimes in parables we kind of have to guess what the certain parts are let me warn you if you have to guess don't (laughs) right Jesus tells us what the points are here he's explicit about all the different roles in the parable so the one who sows the good seed verse 37 is the son of man this classic description of our Lord Jesus And who does the field belong to? It belongs to him. Verse 38 tells us the field is the world. So the world and all that's in it belongs to King Jesus. It's his field. He plants. uh, He sows within it. The sons are described uh, as the sons of the kingdom. Sorry, the, the seeds, the good seed, are described as the sons of the kingdom. As he is going about... Preaching the gospel, hearers are hearing his words, to repent and believe. They are trusting him. They are following him. They are believing in him. And they are becoming the sons of the kingdom. These are, of course, men and women. It's not just exclusively men. It's sons and daughters of the king are coming into his kingdom. Now, you note this is by the act of Jesus, sowing his seed. Going out and planting the the gospel throughout the world so that by his sovereign mercy and kindness, these believers grow up. We have seen this already in his ministry. But then in the parable, night comes. Somebody else comes in, another farmer, to plant his own seeds, to sow weeds in the garden. You see this in verse 26. It's a pretty mischievous trick, right? I mean... Can you imagine the the, the mind, you must really hate your neighbor, right, <laughs> to go out at night and plant in his garden weeds. I mean, you imagine if your neighbor came to your house, you plant your tomatoes this spring, and he sows all these other nasty weeds, right, crabgrass or dandelions or whatever it is amongst your tomato plants, right? That's a pretty mischievous plot. Apparently, there are records from the ancient Near East of men doing this to one another, <laughs> Like, this isn't something Jesus made up. It's actually, apparently, happened at least once uh, in the ancient Near East. Who would be so devious and mischievous and evil, quite frankly, to do something like this? Well, it describes verse 39, the enemy who sowed them, the weeds, is the devil. The ones who are sown are the sons of the evil one. Jesus says in other contexts in the Gospel of John, and he says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. So there's only two types of people in the world here, in the field that is the world. There are those sown by the king, and there are those sown by his enemy. These are the rival farmers. One of them owns the field. The other invades and seeks to destroy that saint. He's, the enemy's not planting his own field of something that's good and beautiful and true, right? No, no, he's, his only work is to come and destroy the work of God. And Jesus tells us this to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like good seeds planted in the world and planted among them are bad seeds. We're going to get in a moment to growing season, but this is planting season. And we see there two different rival, hateful farmers. So one is hateful of the other, right? Planting these rival seeds in the field of the world. What is the seed that Jesus plants like? Not only is it described as uh, the sons of the king, but we, we turn to the next parable, the parable of the mustard what? Seed. Three parables in a row, all about seeds and farming, the smallest, the mustard seed, is the smallest of all the seeds. Right? It is the potentially the weakest, the most vulnerable. It is the one that you would imagine any seed sown by the evil one is going to be bigger because it's not the smallest. So it would be a threat to overtaking the smallest seed. The small seed is unlikely, unless you know what it is, it's unlikely to produce much fruit. And then the third parable helps us understand the planting season, switching finally uh, to a different type uh, of metaphor. Uh, now we're into the, to the kitchen. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that is yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Again, what do we understand about planting? The image of the mustard seed, small. The image of the yeast or the leaven is also small. You only put a little bit, Of yeast into a lot of flour. We'll come back to that image in a little bit. I know some of you know about this because the last couple years, making homemade bread, especially during the lockdowns during COVID, was pretty popular. Maybe some of you did it in your house. It was so popular, there was a a lack, they they ran out of yeast. I don't know if any of you faced this. You couldn't find yeast at the grocery store. I mean, in the last two years, we've run out of everything, it seems like. (laughs) But there was a season where we couldn't find yeast in the grocery store when you found a packet remember how big these they're tiny right just a little bit to make a lot of bread now in the other places of scripture the image of yeast it's a negative metaphor a little bit uh, uh, affects or influences or impacts the rest of the flour the rest of the lump some commentators think this is a negative image Uh, it's not it's in line with the other positive images of the kingdom of heaven uh, that the people of God, the sons of the king, the mustard seed, are also like a very small amount of yeast or leaven. So here's what we're understanding about planting a little bit of yeast, a small seed planted and hidden among the rest of the world around us. So here's our first lesson about planting season, and that is that the kingdom of God has humble beginnings. The kingdom of God Has humble beginnings. Jesus tells us three times the kingdom of heaven is like, is like, is like. And what is it like? It's like something small. (laughs) It's like something lowly and something humble. It's something unimpressive. It's something that you wouldn't expect much out of. A little bit of yeast, some tiny little seeds. Reminds us, of course, in this season of Advent of the unimpressive birth of our Savior. I mean, in our eyes, it's glorious, right? In, in the, the eyes of heaven, it's glorious. But in the eyes of the world, it's nothing special, right? It's just a little child to a poor little family out on the outskirts. Uh, there's nothing much impressive about it. In fact, much of Jesus' life is lived that way. He has no place to lay his head. He has crowds following him, but he builds no earthly kingdoms, does he? Uh, He brings in no radical political changes. I mean, really, we can look at Jesus' ministry so far in Matthew and what we know of it. It seems like there's not much impact happening here. There's not much world-shaking activity going on in the humble, lowly ministry of Jesus. I mean, even his death, hanging on a cross, buried in a tomb. And his impatient disciples, just like impatient us, (laughs) can look at this and we can grow discouraged. And we can look around and think, well, this is it. The the humble beginnings of the kingdom in many ways still feels pretty humble, doesn't it? So much that the words of the prophet centuries ago, we need to hear today to do not despise the day of small things. And in fact, it's not that God is struggling (laughs) against the powers of this world. No, it is indeed God's very plan to begin his kingdom through a humble savior and through humble men and women and through humble people and churches like ours. Here's how Paul renders it. In 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 27, he writes, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. The smallest seed of the garden seems rather foolish. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the wise the strong little teaspoon of yeast. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? You will remember the, the concluding verse, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What's this lesson the parables teach us? Teach us of the humble beginnings of the kingdom that like the mustard seed and like the little bit of yeast, we too are low. Like our Savior, we too are despised and weak and foolish. We read these parables not as the final production of the, the flour and the bread, not as the huge tree to which birds come and flock to. No, we read this as those still in the humble beginnings of the kingdom. And that should lead you and me on the path of humility, shouldn't it? What are we compared to? (laughs) Low, small, humble things. Pride and arrogance in the Christian life isn't just merely wrong and doesn't reflect well on Jesus. It is entirely opposite to, it is antithetical to, who we actually are. As humble people following a humbled Savior. (laughs) We recognize the planting season because it tells us the kingdom has humble beginnings. God uses humble and lowly and despised people because he alone gets the glory. But how does he do that? How does God use such weak and feeble items like yeast and seeds? Well, the Bible tells us that though we may plant and someone else may water, it's God that gives the growth. And so we see secondly in our parables, the second season as we wait upon God, it's the growing season. Because all three of these parables have not only a a period of planting or starting, mixing in the yeast, but they have a period of growing. So go back to the parable of the weeds, the growing season. Not only are the seeds planted and sown together, so they're mixed in with each other, they grow up together. And, And most likely, The type of seeds the enemy is sowing look a whole lot like the wheat that the good farmer is sowing. And so as those crops are growing up together, you can't tell which which is which. They look the same. Usually it's not until the final season, the harvest season, that you can actually tell them apart. But in the parable, the workers of the field, who are the disciples... They look at this and they come to the farmer, who of course is Jesus, and they say, let us gather up the weeds. Don't you want us to gather up the weeds? What kind of question is this? This is an impatient question, right? Well, come on, Jesus. Can't you see the mix? Can't you see the mess? Let's go clean it up. Let's get those other people out of here. Jesus tells them, let them both grow up together. You see, we live in an age from the planting and growing season unto the harvest season in which the opposition to the kingdom of God is not wiped out. There are, in a sense, two kingdoms growing together, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And it is under the sovereign, perfect plan of the very king that not yet does he wipe out or clear out the kingdom of the world. Now, why is that? The reason he gives in the parable, against his followers that want to pull up the weeds, because he tells them not to, verse 29, lest, that means unless, in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. You pull up the wheat, and the, the, the roots are tangled up with the wheat, and you pull them, and you end up killing both. Now, part of the reason for this, I think, is because the, the, these disciples, the, the helpers here, they're not very good judge of which one's which. And quite frankly, neither are the disciples, and neither are we. We're not great judges of which one's which, are we? We can easily be fooled. We can easily be deceived. I mean, I, I can go out in my yard, generally speaking, and spray the poison ivy with my I'm not great at it, but I generally know what poison ivy looks like. I'm not going to give that poison ivy sprayer to my, a two-year-old and say, well, go, just spray all the poison ivy, right? What would happen? Well, She'd probably destroy all the good plants. We don't really know what we're doing. God knows. The farmer knows which one's which, but the helpers don't. And who is impatient? The ones who don't know. Well, who's patient? The one who does know? The farmer's patience shows us the very patience of God, because he knows the wheat. And he will bring in the wheat. And he will permit nothing to take place that will potentially destroy his own. St. Augustine says of this passage, those that are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Aren't you glad he didn't start pulling those weeds too early? I am. The mustard seed parable makes this same point ever so briefly. Verse 32, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plant. There's the the growing season. That's it. It grows. (laughs) But how does the smallest of the seeds grow to the largest of the plants? It experiences the greatest of the growth, right? The the best growth among all the other seeds. It's the only one that, that can go from smallest overlapping the big seeds, not to become the biggest. God gives the growth. And then the third parable the third metaphor of yeast growing i will confess i don't know how this works <laughs> my wife keeps a jar of of something in my fridge some sort of white stuff starter or something i don't know what it is and she feeds it every once in a while whatever that means um and and it and i eat wonderful bread every week <laughs> it's somehow the yeast being mixed in and and feeding whatever's in that jar right here the image is of mixing together the leaven with the rest of the flour. And do you know what that word, hid? Commentators say that's a weird word to use here. It doesn't, it's not a common word to describe the act of mixing in uh, leaven with flour. It makes sense to us, right? Because as soon as you put it in, you it around, well, it's gone. You can't see the leaven anymore. But I think possibly there's a, there's a kind of a double meaning here. There's this hidden Secret influence of the yeast. I mean, flour with and without yeast is going to look pretty similar, right? But only one is going going to grow unlike the other. The entire lump, Jesus tells us, grows. What lesson do we learn from this? Our second lesson, this time of the growing season, is of the hidden growth of the kingdom. The hidden growth of the kingdom. We go to my parents every year for Thanksgiving and they have you know, one of these walls that they measure the kids' heights right every year. I'm sure you have something like that in your house or you grew up with that. and You don't realize you've grown and then it's marked on the wall. right? You, oh, wow, I grew so many inches uh, from last year. Or, oh, wow, I've stopped growing. Or, oh, wow, I've started to shrink a little bit. All right? <laughs> there's, there's not physical, visible growth often in the kingdom of heaven. It can be a type of hidden growth. See, Jesus isn't expanding to different towns, sort of these outposts of heaven. He's not building these big, beautiful buildings as sort of embassies of heaven. It looks like there's not much going on. Sort of like that child who was born, hidden and out of sight, not in the exalted palaces of this world, but humble. Except the impact of the kingdom is spreading in the hearts of men and women and children who believe the gospel and trust Jesus. That's not often that visible to the naked eye. It is like yeast mixed in with the flour. And I will confess that here I am impatient and I know some of you can grow impatient. Don't we just want the kingdom to grow visibly? (laughs) And I want a big, visible kingdom, right? I want a big church that's packed full of people. I want a powerful ministry with all sorts of clicks and likes and downloads, whatever it is, right? We want this, this triumphant, marching forward, brick and mortar, banners flying, trumpets sounding, victorious kingdom. And what do we get? We get low and humble and hidden growth. What is Jesus teaching his hearers and us? He's teaching us patience. Patience. James picks up on this same image of patience and farming when he writes in James 5 verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it? until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I'm going to offer you a warning here, and that warning is that often impatience in the kingdom of God and in the church of God can breed serious problems. When we are not patiently waiting on King Jesus to work in hidden and humble ways in our hearts, we go and build our own kingdoms. We exalt our own ministries. We build our own big buildings. We seek the Lord's affirmation, uh, the world's affirmation, excuse me. We pursue all of these other things. And what we end up doing is we end up exalting men and ministries and leaders that have nothing to do with Jesus and his gospel because our expectations and our impatience is so wrong. That's why you often see fallen leaders, and fallen ministries still supported all the way to the end, even as they have been revealed as those who have ignored Christ and his gospel. We put ourselves in spiritual danger with our impatience on the visible kingdom of Jesus. And we would do well for our very souls to learn patience and contentment to look for the fruit that he bears when and where he bears it. That is the image that Jesus gives of the growing season. The line between the planting season and the growing season in the farm, farming analogy is very clear. right? You plant these months and it grows these other months. In these metaphors it's mixed together. There continues to be both planting and growing. Right? Some of you are relatively new believers. Some of you have been believers forever. Some of you come from families in which there's no legacy of faith. Others of you come from families with, uh, with generations of faith, right? You can testify that there is ongoing planting and growing together, mixed together. But this final season is not mixed. It is, it is the one yet to come. And that's the season of harvest. Harvest season. So we live in a kingdom that is humble and is hidden. But what happens at the end of the growing season? Well, what happens to that flower that has a little bit of yeast in it? It says it was hid in three measures of flour. We can do some calculations that leads to feeding bread, uh, bread enough to feed over 100 people. That's, that's a lot of yield from a little bit of yeast. The mustard seed, the smallest of the seed, it grows into the biggest uh, tree, the biggest plant in the garden. If you actually see a mustard tree, it doesn't really look like a tree. It looks like a, bu- a big bush. But apparently here in the metaphor, it's grown so big that even birds will come. That's how big it's grown. And what about that field? The field with the mixed together seeds in them. Well, look how Jesus closes that explanation of the parable of the weeds in verse 39. What season is it? He says, the harvest is the end of the age. This is the return of Jesus. There's planting and growing, going on after his first coming, unto his second coming. And when this comes again, the planting's over with. And the growing season, is, it's, it's done. It's now time for the harvest. There's one other part of this parable he hasn't explained yet. Those are, the workers want to pull, right, but it's not their job. Did you catch that? It's the reaper's job. It's somebody else who's come in to reap and clear the field. And the reapers, he tells us in verse 39, are the angels. And the angels at the end of time have two tasks. They both gather the weeds out and they gather the wheat in. First, they gather the wheat out. Verse 41 The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. These are the sons of the evil one. These are those that we have seen over and over and over again who reject Jesus, who hear clearly the gospel message and leave with ears stopped up and stubborn and refuse to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ. We have preached This same division that's getting stronger and stronger and stronger over the last weeks and over the last months. And I I, I fear that some of you, instead of your heart softening to believe, it's growing harder and harder. And it's revealing there's no good soil. It's actually the path. And that you haven't been sown and planted by King Jesus, but rather by his enemy, the evil one. And do you note the causes of sin and lawbreakers? These are referring to people. They are weeded out. Now is time to pull out the weeds. And what, what is done with them is what is done in the metaphor with physical weeds. They are bound up in bundles to be burned. Or as Jesus himself says, they throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In no uncertain terms is Jesus here speaking of hell itself. This is what one author calls eschatological doom. The eschaton, the return of Jesus. This is the darkness. This is the the doom. This is Jesus coming as judge. Nobody else knows who's who in that field, but Jesus knows. Jesus sees, and he knows, and he himself gives the warning that he will judge. And as terrifying as that verse is, I want you to see how gracious it is as well. He's telling you what he's going to do. And as he's telling you, he is inviting you. These categories, they're, they're metaphors. They're parables. They're not so firm that one seed can't change into the other kind of seed. By the mercy and the grace of God. We go last week, how do we plant it in good soil? Not by doing anything, by trusting in him. By turning to him. You see, the very one who judges tells us, I'm not judging yet. There's still time to come and trust in the king and judge of the world. You see, as he went to the cross, he faced all the pain and the anguish of that same fiery furnace. He felt poured upon himself the just, righteous wrath of God so that he can stand as our shield, as our defender, as our atonement, and say to us, the judgment is coming, I hold it back, and there's still time. As he invites, I invite you to come and believe in him. Do not not delay, do not wait another week. Do not play around with the hardness of your heart. It will only get harder. Look what this king does and come to him in faith. Because as he sends the angels as reapers to gather the weeds out, do you see what he also does? He gathers the wheat in. In the metaphor, it's gathered into his barn. That's a good place to be, right? In verse 43, here's what he tells us happens to the wheat. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Jesus shares the glory and the beauty, the resplendent majesty of his exalted self and his resurrected kingdom with all who come to him in faith. Those who were once humble are now exalted. Those who were once hidden now shine like the sun. What shines by the sun? Nothing. You can't hide the sun, right? (laughs) That which was once hidden in full glory will shine bright like the sun. You see, Jesus takes his people on the path to humility, doesn't he? Here's how Paul describes it in Philippians 2. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is the, the little bit, the humbled bit, who laid his glory by for a season such that in his resurrection, in his victory over the grave, that which was once humbled becomes exalted. And as Paul continues in verse 9, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The one whose glory was cloaked or hidden, as it were, for a time, now shines bright as the sun in his transcendent glory. We'll see later in Matthew that his followers can't even see him. It's, the face of, it's like seeing the face of Moses as, after he's seen the glory of God. And here is what Jesus tells us in all of his grace and mercy, that sons and daughters of the king will follow him on that same path. Maybe you are so weary of walking the humble, lowly path. And you need to be reminded this morning that you, dear Christian, though you are hidden, though you are humbled today, will one day, him shine like the sun. By the grace of God, that harvest season is a glorious season. See, we celebrate and we think today of the Advent season, the coming of Jesus, and we look back we think of the humble Advent of Jesus. This text tells us of the exalted and glorious and victorious Advent, the, the second coming of Jesus. We're called to be humble. We are called to be patient. Here I believe he is calling us to endure. Not just patient as we grow, but with an eye set on the glorious harvest that we would endure. This is the hymn, Greatest Thy Faithfulness says, Help for today and bright hope for tomorrow. For those of you who feel unseen and overlooked and hidden and humbled, what a promise that one day we will shine bright like the sun. I wonder if you remember some time when you were a kid and you were uh, going on vacation with your family. And you know kids, they get excited and they want to know, where, where are we going? What's it going to be like? What are we going to do? What, what fun stuff is there? And your parent looks at you and says, well, the house we're going to is actually rather small. Uh, it's, it's kind of insignificant. It's low. It's, it's humble. They don't have Wi-Fi there, right? <laughs> It was pretty bad. And as this kid, you're thinking, "Yay, I can't wait." <laughs> but then your parents say, "Just wait, just wait." Because it will be huge. <laughs> it will be like the biggest tree in the forest, the biggest bush in the garden, and everyone who comes to that house will find rest. And there might not be much to eat right now, but then there will be food to feed everyone. And though it is dark and humble, when you get there, you will shine as bright as the sun. The same Jesus who humbled himself to death calls us on that same path to humility, but he, that same Jesus who has been exalted in glory, leads us on that same path to glory. Let us endure by trusting in him. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, you know very well our impatience. You know our doubts. You know that some of us have thought this very week, I'm done. I'm ready to hang it up. Jesus, it's just too hard to follow you. God, I pray for each of us that you would show us the glory of your heavenly kingdom. You would show us our glorious and exalted destiny. You would show us the the boundless joy and splendor of the new heavens and the new earth. But all of that, oh God, would pale in comparison to the beauty and the glory and the grace of our Savior. That though we see in these parables our humble king, we would see in our mind's eye and we would worship with joy everlasting our heavenly Exalted, ruling and reigning King, and might seeing Him lead us on that humble, long path that we might endure. We pray in His name, Amen. We're going to close uh, with Him. One hundred ninety nine. See amid the winter's snow. Him uh, one ninety nine. Would you stand with me as we?